Dedicated Thoughts presented by Prescouter, where our goal is to have short discussions on big ideas in healthcare. I'm Jeremy Schmerer, and with me is Dr. Ryan LaRanger. Today, we're talking about bioreactors, which have applications in many industries, but today we'll be talking mostly about their role in drug development and vaccines in particular. So Ryan, what even is a bioreactor? How does it work and why are they important? That's a great question. So a bioreactor at the heart of it is just a system which can support a biologically active process. Uh, In medicine, we are often using them to make vaccine and uh, basically anything that's called a biologic is built in a bioreactor. So a bioreactor generally has some kind of culture media that has nutrients in it of some kind. Uh, It has a certain amount of perturbation. Basically, it's stirring. And then you have some kind of cell, which is in there making something. Uh, Now, for biologics, for instance, you have cells, uh, Cho cells, uh, Chinese hamster ovary cells, or mammalian. You can program them, program them with a virus. You know, you genetically engineer them to express things like human insulin or other therapeutic proteins which are then harvested from those cells or the media and eventually put in a patient. So at a high level, that's what a bioreactor is in this context. Uh, We could also talk about like how eggs are kind of a bioreactor and some of these other things. And uh, chicken eggs are often actually used to make certain vaccines because it permits the environment for their growth. But uh, that's a little bit of an aside. Does that help? I think, Ryan, I'm having a hard time actually visualizing what this is. I hear bioreactor and I think big machines and lots of equipment. What does this actually look like and how are people using it? So that image isn't entirely wrong, but it varies a lot. So um, are you familiar with like a fermentation vat at a brewery? Suppose I am. Okay, that's a bioreactor, <laughs> in a matter of speaking, right? Uh, you often in, these are huge metal vats that have a number of sensors in them that are just constantly stirring. And then you can open up the bottom and take out the material after a certain amount of growth time has occurred, right? Okay. And then sometimes there are multiple steps where this goes on for, uh, but, but, and it's very important that you bring up form for a bioreactor, uh, Some of the innovations in building bioreactors is building smaller ones and building disposable ones. Because for a firm, building large permanent bioreactor capacity is an enormous upfront cost. These are large precision machines with integrated sensors that have to be regularly deep cleaned and require a whole facility around them and skilled operators, right? These are big investments. And presently, there's actually a certain amount of overcapacity of bioreactor um, capacity, but it has to be done at these huge scales. Let me just pause there for a moment before I go on. Does that generally track? It sounds like it has a lot of application with like the food and beverage space, for example, where you're making mass quantities of food or, or beverages and just needing a system that produces the same level of quality over and over again. Does that, is that right? ish it's right ish <laughs> okay well before we so, before we go down that path how does that level of precision how is it applied to making drugs and vaccines because that's you know we're a healthcare themed podcast 
connect it back to the drug making and the vaccine making. Absolutely. So when you're talking about biologics, you're talking about large, complex proteins that need to be made in the same way or as close as possible to the same way every single time. If there's variation, if the cells die, if the batch size is different, i.e. the number, the amount of protein you're making per run of the bioreactor, uh, the more variability there is there, the more the cost there is to build the drug and the more basically extra drug you need to make to make sure you never run out. So you don't have uh, stockouts, a thing that you know I hate. I know you hate stockouts. Now, are you talking about that as an efficiency of the actual raw materials in terms of having to redo or the cost? Is that what you're referring to? A little of both. So let me explain. It's when you're thinking about a bioreactor, you have a couple of moving parts. One of them is what's happening on a chemical, on a nutrient, on a pH perspective, what's happening in the tank. The more regular it is, the more constant the temperature, the more constant the pH, the less of a strong gradient you have, the better your bioreactor is running. And so a number of innovations in this space for especially the larger bioreactors is how do you get a full view of what's happening inside the bioreactor? So if something is going wrong, you can add something to where the problem is because it's a live system, right? It's fluctuations in pH, fluctuations in temperature. They can kill your whole batch and each batch is an enormous amount of money's worth of drug. So for instance, as often we talk about innovations on this, um, there are newly developed floating biosensors uh, that instead of just being static and sort of the material flows around the static sensor, instead smaller miniaturized sensors are being put in the whole of the system. So that way they give a full view of what's happening inside that tank without having the need for someone to open up the tank and put in a little dipstick and see what the problem is. Normally that's not always done, but yeah. Uh, does so that make sense? Yeah. So it's sort of a self diagnosis, uh, you know, the, the, the quality and, and the potential need for, for maintenance or, or, you know, reformatting can be seen in a predictive manner. Precisely. Now there are a couple of other areas where we're seeing some really exciting stuff happen in terms of increasing uh, tighter, if you like. Um, increasing the uh, being able to make more drug per which is generally pretty expensive. Uh, first of all, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that making disposable smaller plastic bioreactors is a huge deal in the industry right now because it gets around those very large upfront costs and even though you're having to throw out these bags, the bags are very cheap and you're not having to engage in the really harsh, harsh cleaning process that you need to in more traditional bioreactors. So that's one thing, and that's a very important technology. Other things that are going on, uh, I mentioned before Cho cells, the Chinese hamster ovary cells. Those are kind of a historical artifact. <laughs> uh, they're used because they have been used. There are a couple of groups that are working on engineering better lines 
for the production of, of therapeutic mammalian or human proteins. And some of them are being pretty successful. Uh, other things that I just want to bring up relatively quickly, uh, some people are working on trying to make uh, packed bed bioreactor systems. Uh, some groups are working on uh, better lines. Some groups are working on better cell culture media basically to support the cells for longer. And some people are using systems which basically float inside the bioreactor, which also permit uh, growth of cells on those basically floating bits, sort of like floating coral. Um, all of these are considered to be potential areas for advance, but it's still a very sort of mechanical entrenched problem because, uh, well, first of all, do all of those make sense? Yeah, it seems like a lot of these innovations are trending us to a place where there's greater accuracy and precision and a greater ability to scale as the bioreactor itself and the mechanics of it become smaller and, and more predictable. I mean, are there yeah, and a lot of this sort of tracks with the industry 4.0 things that we spend some time talking about, where there are two ac big axes of improvement. One of them is data collection because sensors are getting smaller. The other one being data interpretation because our computational powers, machine learning, artificial intelligence, et cetera, are getting much better. So especially when we talk about those free-floating sensor systems we were talking about before, half of the problem is, can I capture the data? The other half of the problem is, can I turn that data into an insight that will save my system? right, and allow me to use more small, more nimble, disposable bioreactors, say with these integrating floating, with floating sensors, as opposed to these huge metal tanks with integrated sensors, and some of these kinds of things. So exciting. This is a space that I feel like I know a little bit more about and one that we should return to because I, it seems like there's a lot more that we can say about it. But in fact, that is all the time that we have for today. Uh, we hope everyone enjoyed the discussion on bioreactors. If you're not a subscriber already, you should be. We're on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Our next episode, we're going to dive into mRNA, and we may just have a couple of guests from our team with us as well. So until then, thanks for listening. Thanks.